Hey everyone, I hope you're all doing well. Uh, we are coming to the close of our series, Heroes of Faith. And I hope this has been a great series for you. I hope it's been encouraging to you. As we've been looking through this series, we've been looking at various individuals, men and women in Scripture, that God has used in powerful ways. And at one of the common themes that we've seen throughout this series is that uh, people are flawed. They're not perfect. They have a lot of failures and shortcomings. Uh, but thankfully, their faith, even if it's just a mustard seed, uh, has a profound impact in their lives and the lives of those around them and in the just uh, the plan of what God is doing in the world. We've seen individuals who uh, struggled with getting drunk, uh, individuals who were murderers, people who traded their wives for their own safety, people who were sexually promiscuous. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on of people who did some horrible things, but also even with those failures and with those shortcomings, as, as dramatic as they may have been, they were people who trusted in God and, and leaned on God and God used that faith, however small it may have been, uh, to do a great work. And so I hope that's encouraging to each and every one of you uh, that we don't have to be perfect. We just have to trust in God, have faith in him. Now, I want to be clear, that doesn't mean that sin is unimportant. And that it doesn't matter what kind of sins are in your life or that we should just gloss over the, the problems in our life and the ways that we don't trust God. But it is to say that God is big enough to handle our sin and he knows that we are not perfect. And yet he still chooses to work through us anyways. And so that's, that's a great encouragement. And may I hope it's an encouragement to you as we continue to uh, follow Christ and, and trust in him in our day to day life. Now. We have we haven't covered everyone in scripture. Uh, there are quite a few people that uh, we probably missed that you were hoping that we would uh, touch base on and explore throughout this series. And I'm sure that we'll come back at a later date and look through uh, some of these individuals. Uh, I would particularly like to spend some time exploring some of the the more um, ungodly, bad, kind of scandalous people in scripture that kind of uh, stay in the background, but but help us understand more of the context of what's going on in scripture. I'd love to look at King Herod, Nebuchadnezzar, and maybe even Caesar and some others uh, that are seen in scripture, but you don't hear a lot about. And so I would like for us to maybe at some day uh, look at look at those individuals as well. But we're going to go ahead and close out this series by looking at the Apostle Paul. Now, uh, Paul was at one point called Saul. That was his Hebrew name, and that name means desired. In 1 Samuel, Pastor Darrell just recently preached uh, a message on this about King Saul and how he was desired by the nation of Israel to become the first king over them. And so that is where Paul uh, gets his Hebrew name. He's also called Paul. That is his Roman name. He was both Jewish and Roman uh, at the same time. We'll cover that in just a little bit, but the name Paul means small or little. And that, I think, points kind of to the idea that Paul was very humble and he um, was he considered himself least of all the apostles. And he was uh, just um, in many ways a very humble individual that God used to do great things. He wrote most of the New Testament and uh, really impacted the foundation of the first century church. Now, uh, not a whole lot is known about the early life 
of the Apostle Paul. We know that he was born around 5 AD, so he was born uh, within a few years of when Christ was also born, so they would have been roughly uh, the same age. He was um, raised most of his life in the city of Tarsus, which was is modern-day Turkey. It was a very big and important city at that time, a marketplace where a lot of uh, of the people of the world would come and go. And so he was uh, exposed to a lot of various cultures at that particular time. We also know that Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. We know that from Philippians 3 verse 5, where Paul talks a little bit about um, where he came from. And we know that that's also the tribe that King Saul also came from as well. And we also know that Paul was a Roman citizen, which again, uh, we need to kind of pause and really soak that in because that was a very rare thing. It was Rome that conquered most of the world at that time. But even with that being the case, most of the population of Rome was not made up of Roman citizens, but it was made up of slaves and of just people in living in the various provinces. Just because you lived in the Roman Empire, just because you were born in the Roman Empire, did not make you a Roman citizen. Roman citizens had a lot of benefits that went along with their citizenship uh, that made it a very valuable commodity to have. And some people could purchase their Roman citizenship, but it was very, very expensive. It was not common for Jews to be a Roman citizen, which has led to a lot of scholars speculating as to why Paul was able to be both a Jew and a Roman citizen at the same time. Uh, some believe that maybe Paul's parents uh, saved up enough money to where they were able to purchase their citizenship. I'm not sure if that's the most likely scenario, given the fact that most people at that time uh, were just living um, day to day, making sure that they had enough food for them. They were taxed very heavily, and most uh, people, especially Jews, were not able to save the kind of money that was ne uh, necessary for them to be able to purchase their citizenship. The other uh, option that some scholars put out there is that possibly Paul's parents were slaves who worked uh, hard enough and long enough for their master that they earned their freedom and impressed their master enough to where he was willing to pay for their citizenship, which would then allow Paul to later be born a Roman citizen. So we're not really sure what the case may have been, but we do know that Paul was born a Roman citizen, but he was also a Jew from the uh, tribe of uh, Benjamin and his father at some point in his life was a Pharisee because Paul later tells us that he was a Pharisee from Pharisees, that he was born in a family of Pharisees. And not only that, but later Paul would end up training and learning under the famous rabbi uh, Gamiel. And um, and we know, we know that this rabbi was incredibly popular, but this was not something that all Jewish boys were allowed to do. Rabbis selected who their students were. And so we know that Gamiel, uh, that he would have, um, he would have picked only the choicest students to study under him. And so for whatever reason, there was something about Paul at a young age that really uh, stood out, that he was very intelligent, that he knew uh, the Old Testament scriptures, and that he studied under this very, um, very famous, very influential rabbi. We also know that sometime as he was growing up, as he was learning, he also learned uh, tent making. It may have been that his father, in addition to being a Pharisee, was also in the trade of tent making and would pass that on uh, to Paul as well, who would 
that would be very useful later on in Paul's life as he funds his own missionary endeavors through his tent making uh, efforts. And so we know that Paul was probably a, a young man during the life of Christ, probably in his uh, late teens, early 20s, as Christ kind of steps on the scene, begins teaching, and then later is crucified and resurrected. Uh, Paul would have been around that area during that time. We also know that uh, Paul later guarded the coats of men uh, who ended up stoning Stephen, one of the deacons, in the early church. We know that uh, Stephen was arrested for speaking against the temple and against the law. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, found guilty uh, of these blasphemies against the temple and against the law, and so they ended up stoning him. Now, stoning is where they would, in Jewish customs, they would uh, take a person who was convicted of some particular crime, in this case, blasphemy, and they would uh, often throw him outside the city uh, gates, uh, sometimes maybe down a cliff, and then each person was, each man was to take one stone and only one stone and throw it at the person. And if the person survived the stoning, they saw that as God's pardoning of that person. God had mercy on that person. If the person died, then that was seen as a just death to their heresies and to their crime. The irony of this is that Stephen, who was stoned by the priest at that time as Paul watched their coats kind of giving approval to it that later Stephen would be considered by the Catholic Church the patron saint of stonemasons, which I just find really ironic. Um, then later, uh, Saul, um, Paul, who's also called Saul, I'll kind of refer to them interchangeably because at this point, he's just referred to as Saul. He becomes Paul after his first missionary journey. But Saul becomes the chief persecutor of the church. Uh, Christians they're not called Christians at that point. They're just called followers of the way. Um, they were seen as heretics because they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And uh, they were seen as discounting the Old Testament law and, and, and things of that nature. And so Saul, who later becomes Paul, begins persecuting them. Uh, the persecution starts around Jerusalem and then begins to bleed out into surrounding areas. And at this time, he would arrest people. Uh, he would take them into in prison, both men and women. They would receive beatings. A lot of times when uh, the Jewish community, the synagogues, would see someone stepping outside of the religious traditions of their day, they would beat them with either rods or with uh, whips in, in an effort to discipline them, to bring them back into the fold. Or worst case scenarios, they would end up stoning them. And um, possibly if they either survived the stoning or if they weren't stoned but just received beatings, even after that, they would oftentimes be shunned by the community. Your friends, neighbors, family, uh, they would not uh, talk to you, associate with you, do business with you or anything like that. Christians, because of this harsh persecution, which was led by Saul, ended up leaving Jerusalem and going to the surrounding areas. This didn't... Um, uh, deter Saul. He ended up getting permission from the Sanhedrin, uh, written permission to go into the uh, synagogues there in the uh, area of Syria, which was north of Israel, go there and uh, arrest the Christians to bring them back to trial uh, for their, their heresies, according to the Jewish leaders. Now, as Saul was on his way to Damascus, uh, there he encounters Christ and we have his conversion. This is a very famous story where Paul, or, or I'm sorry, Saul at that time, is traveling to Damascus. Somewhere along the way, he sees this blinding light that knocks him down. 
and he hears this booming voice that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And when Saul asks who, is, who, who it is that's speaking to him, he's, uh, the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, Saul, uh, when he hears this voice, uh, and when he sees this light, it's noonday, it's the time where the sun should be as brightest, but this light is blinding even above and beyond the, the, the sun. And as he hears the voice of Jesus speaking from this light, uh, the people around him, they they see the light and they they hear a noise, but they don't understand what's being said. But Saul is blinded by this light. He can't see, so uh, the traveling companions with him have to lead him the rest of the way to Damascus. And while he's there, God speaks to a man, a Christian man there by the name of Ananias. And Ananias is told to go to Saul and to pray over him. And uh, initially, Ananias doesn't want to have anything to do with Saul. He's heard about the persecutions, and he, he fears what may happen. But Ananias is, re- is told repeatedly that he needs to go to Saul and pray over him. Ananias goes, he prays over Saul, and it says in Scripture that something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he's able to see. He prays to receive Christ, he gets saved. And then he begins proclaiming the gospel all throughout Damascus. And it it totally astounds the people there as they see this man who was once the chief persecutor of the church. Uh, Now he is going around and he's preaching the gospel in the name of Jesus Christ, the one whom uh, he was trying to persecute. Now, the Jews don't like this at all. They start to plot to kill Saul. And uh, word of this gets back to Saul. He's then he escapes this plot. He's lowered in a basket uh, over the city walls, and he then heads to Jerusalem where he meets the disciples. Initially, the Christians there in Jerusalem, they don't want to meet with Saul. The disciples don't want to meet with him because they think that it's a trap. They're not really sure uh, if he's sincere in his faith. And an, uh, an individual by the name of Barnabas goes, meets Saul, vouches for him, brings him to meet the other disciples. He begins preaching the gospel there in Jerusalem, and it caused such a stir that he is sent back to Tarsus, uh, his hometown. It's likely that uh, he went back to Tarsus because he wanted to share the gospel with his family and those he knew there in his hometown. And then eventually we're told that he goes and he spends time alone uh, learning from Jesus for about three years. I find that really interesting because here Saul, who later becomes Paul, uh, he learns from Jesus. He's discipled by Jesus for three years, the same amount of time that the rest of the disciples spent with Jesus while he was here on the earth before his death, burial, and resurrection. So Saul becomes uh, the last disciple of Jesus. And then we later see him in uh, the church in Antioch that's there in Syria. And God sets aside both Barnabas and Saul to send them on their first missionary journey. They first uh, travel to the island of Cyprus where they meet uh, the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And there um, Saul and Barnabas are preaching the gospel. And it's around this time that Saul then changes his name to Paul. Many people believe it's because of his first convert that we see here on Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, that Paul takes on the name uh, of Paulus there, the name Paul. Uh, We also see that he encounters the Jewish magician Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus, and he also has the name Elimus, which means wise man. This uh, magician there begins to 
uh, berate Paul and ridicule Paul. And then Paul just turns to him and, and um, uh, proclaims against him blindness that he says, you're blind and, and blindness you'll continue. And because of that, he struck blind. And again, word of that spreads all throughout the island of Cyprus. And many people uh, convert to Christianity and begin following Jesus. From the uh, island of Cyprus, they then go uh, to Perga. And it's there that John Mark, one of the other companions that's traveling with both Paul and Barnabas, he leaves them. He, for whatever reason, we're really not told. Uh, what the reason is, there's a lot of speculation that maybe uh, they encountered some persecution that scared uh, John Mark. It may have been that he was homesick. It was really hard traveling during that time, and so he left. Whatever the case may be, John Mark leaves, uh, and we don't see him until the second missionary journey. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But they go on to Iconium, and there they um, receive some success. Some people turn to follow Christ. Some people um, begin persecuting them. So they then go on to Lystra. In Lystra, there's a man that they meet. He's been paralyzed since birth. And there uh, he's healed. And that attracts a great deal of attention. And so the people begin worshiping Paul and Barnabas as the Greek gods Hermes uh, and Zeus. And then, uh, they see Paul as Hermes, maybe because he's uh, the one doing most of the preaching and teaching. And Hermes was the Greek god of uh, messengers and, and so forth. And so it might have been that they saw Paul as Hermes because he did most of the preaching, Barnabas as Zeus, maybe because Barnabas was the one who healed the paralyzed man. Whatever it may have been, Paul and Barnabas both say, hey, listen, stop. Don't worship us. We're not gods. We're here to preach uh, about who God really is. And many uh, people begin trusting in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. But the Jews, again, get upset uh, and Jews from Ant Antioch and Iconium come there and they begin stirring up a, a mob and they uh, grab Paul, they throw him outside the city gates and there they stone him just like they did with Stephen. Paul is presumed dead as the Jews leave and then Paul picks himself back up, dusts himself off and then he moves on to Derby. Now I just want to pause there for a moment because it's amazing the amount of bravery that Paul must have in the fact that here he's been beaten and stoned, and yet he doesn't quit. He doesn't go back home. He continues on with his journey, and as we'll see in a little bit, he circles back around, and he doesn't avoid Lystra. He goes right back to Lystra, the place where he was stoned, and he, he's not afraid. He trusts in God, and he keeps moving forward. What amazing faith Paul must have had. And so he, he goes to Derby, he preaches the gospel, and then afterwards he goes back to each of the cities he just visited on his way back to his home base of Antioch. And there he recounts all that God has done as both Jews and Gentiles in all these cities began trusting in Christ. Uh, the next thing we see in the life of Paul is he, uh, he begins encountering some Jews uh, there in his home base of Antioch who begin teaching that the Gentile believers need to follow the law of Moses. They need to be circumcised. They need to eat kosher uh, Jewish food uh, and all the various other elements of Jewish life. And so Paul is, is concerned about this. And so they end up going to Jerusalem and they begin uh, recounting to the Jews there in Jerusalem and to the disciples all that God has done. They have this big council where they decide whether or not uh, Gentile believers need to follow the law of Moses. They end up with the verdict of no. 
Gentile believers do not need to be circumcised. They do not need to eat kosher. They do not need to observe the Jewish laws as found in the books of Moses. What they do decide is that there are three things that Jewish believers, or I'm sorry, Gentile believers don't need to do. They don't need to worship idols. They don't need to engage in fornication, and they don't need to eat food with blood still in it, which is essentially uh, basically the rules and laws that God gave Noah after the flood. And so they see that this should apply to all people. The Jewish law applies only to Jewish people, whereas this more generic rules and, and commandments of God applied to Noah and all those who came after Noah, all the Gentile nations that came from Noah. And so they say, here's the bare minimum that they need to do. We don't need to put any more of a burden on them. So there, there's a lot more that we said with that, but essentially uh, it, it frees up the Gentiles to be a part of the family of God without having to follow the law of God. And so that then leads into Paul's second missionary trip. And it's at the at the start of this missionary trip, there's this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas as it relates to John Mark. John Mark was probably the cousin or nephew of Barnabas, uh, depending on who you ask and how you understand certain uh, passages of scripture. But uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them on this trip. Paul said, no, we don't need to take him. He abandoned us last time. He didn't stay with us. And so we don't need to take him on this trip. And so there was such a disagreement there that Paul went his own way and Barnabas went his own way. Paul takes Silas along with him and they make, make a much bigger trip this time. Instead of going uh, through Cyprus, they go up from Antioch into uh, Cilicia and into uh, Galatia and they uh, visit some various folks. They hit some of the highlights uh, that they saw last time. They still go to Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Poseidon. Uh, um, but they also tried to go into Asia a number of times, which is essentially Asia Minor. Uh, they wanted to visit some of the cities of Pergamum, Sardis, Smyrna, Philadelphia, a lot of the cities that you would see in the book of Revelation. But time after time, uh, they're hindered by God into, uh, into going to these cities. Um, now, they are allowed in his third missionary journey to go to some of these places, but we see in Acts 16, verse 6, it says they passed through Phygian and the Galatian region, uh, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and there the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Now, it's really interesting that here they're trying to share the gospel. They're trying to uh, tell other people about Jesus. But for whatever reason, we're not told why, but for whatever reason, God does not want the gospel to go to those places just yet. As I said, in the third missionary journey that Paul takes, he does go to some of those areas. But I just find it interesting that sometimes we may want to do something, even if it's a good thing, like sharing the gospel, but there, God is working and he has a time and a place that he wants us to go. And sometimes he keeps us from doing good things that we want to do uh, because he has other plans in store for us. And so here Paul is trying to go to some of these cities so he can share the gospel. God says, no, I don't want you there. He shuts the door on him going to those certain cities. And he gives Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come to us and preach the gospel. And so Paul and his traveling companions, Silas and others, they go, uh, they sail across the Aegean Sea and they first go to the city of Philippi. And there in Philippi, they meet a woman uh, by the name of Lydia. And Lydia is this very wealthy woman who sells purple fabric, which was a very costly 
fabric mostly. Um, um, very wealthy and influential. Oftentimes, royal people would wear purple fabrics because of how um, how expensive these fabrics can be. And so Lydia kind of um, supports Paul and his missionary endeavors. She hosts them while they're there in Philippi. And while they're there, they encounter a slave girl who is um, spiritually possessed. And she uh, is able to, because of this spirit that indwells her, uh, tell the future. And the interesting thing is she's going around with Paul and Silas as they're preaching the gospel, and she keeps shouting out and proclaiming, these men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, if we look at that, everything she's saying is true. These are bond servants of the most high God. They are telling the way of salvation. So it's, it's amazing that here is this woman who seems to be demonically possessed, but she's telling the truth. And the interesting thing is Paul doesn't heal her of this demonically um, the demonic possession. It says that there were many days that she continued to do this, uh, and Paul doesn't heal her. And some think, well, it, maybe it's because she's telling the truth, but I don't think that's the case. Um, again, as we've seen, uh, just like when God did not let Paul go into Asia Minor to preach the gospel, even though that was a good thing, um, Paul only was able to heal people as God led him to heal. And it seems like Paul was not uh, it was not God's will to heal her initially right off the bat. There were times where God did bring healing. And this is one of them. Um, and so for many days, she continued to to proclaim this true message that the, this unclean spirit was saying these these true things. But um, it wasn't until many days later that Paul healed her. Now, it's interesting why Paul ended up healing her. I think maybe the case was that Paul knew that eventually he would end up leaving. And if uh, he did not address this message from this demonically possessed girl, then she could later uh, speak things that aren't true to those who had accepted the gospel and lead them astray. And so it, it is good that uh, it was addressed. Paul did cast the spirit out of her, but then it upsets those who owned this slave girl because they were making a lot of money from her telling the future. And so Paul and Silas are then beaten with rods thrown into jail, their feet and hands put into stalks uh, to silence them. And while they're there in jail, they begin singing praises to God, even while they're being persecuted. Uh, while they're in jail overnight, God sends this uh, earthquake that opens the jails, releases them from their bonds. And the guards, seeing that they've been released and, and thinking that they've already fled, he didn't see them because of how dark it was. He he goes to kill himself. This is because uh, if a jailer lost some prisoners, they would end up uh, being uh, executed themselves. And so Paul stops him from killing himself, shares the gospel with them. They accept Christ. And then uh, Paul moves on. When he's done, he then travels uh, back uh, through and goes back to his home base to recount all the things that God has done. Then on his third missionary journey, uh, Paul goes to Ephesus. There he en uh, encounters Apollos and he begins doing many miracles. He lays handkerchiefs on people uh, and, and that heals them from various diseases and ailments and exorcisms are done. There's a Jewish exorcist who tries to cast out demons in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, but it doesn't go so well for him. Uh, the demons end up um, beating this man up and he scurries away. And uh, people seeing that Paul and, and the God that Paul serves is the one that uh, brings healing and whatnot. They begin following Jesus. They burn all their magic books. Uh, and that 
really upsets a lot of people who then stir up a mob and then chase Paul out of Ephesus. He then goes to Macedonia where he visits again Thessalonica, Berea, Corinth, Philippi, and Ephesus, and then he travels back and he goes to Jerusalem. There in Jerusalem, He's seized by the Jews there because they think that he's defiled the temple by bringing uh, Gentiles into the court there, which was forbidden. And they're about to kill Paul right then and there. But some uh, Roman guards um, save Paul. They, uh, they take him into custody there. Uh, it's determined that uh, it's unsafe for Paul to stay there in Jerusalem. So they send him to Caesarea where he stays for two years under gover- governor uh, Felix, and then Felix is later replaced by Festus, and then Festus uh, he hosts uh, King Agrippa, who they there talk to Paul, and um, Paul begins sharing the gospel with them. Eventually, Festus uh, has to send Paul to Rome because Paul has petitioned as a Roman citizen to appear before Caesar. Uh, as he's traveling there, he um, Paul is shipwrecked off the island. Of Crete. Uh, there they almost die. They, uh, God supernaturally saves them uh, in the midst of this storm. They make it to the island of Malta, and there, as Paul is helping start a fire as they try to dry out and warm up, a viper, a snake, comes out and bites Paul on the hand. But yet people are amazed when they see that it doesn't affect Paul, that Paul just throws the uh, serpent into the fire and Paul is not hurt or made ill by the venom of this particular viper. Eventually he makes his uh, way there to Rome. And while he's waiting to be seen by uh, uh, Nero, Paul then writes his letter to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, and uh, a letter to Philemon about his slave Onesimus. Now, it's uh, according to tradition, Paul is then later appears before Nero and then is acquitted and released and continues to preach the gospel throughout the empire. Some say he goes to uh, Spain and Africa. Uh, We're not really sure, but that's just according to church tradition. Later, around 68 AD, Paul is beheaded um, by the Romans for preaching the gospel and um, that's really the start of a lot of Christian persecution at that time. Now, Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians, talking about all the various hardships that uh, he endured. He says uh, he, uh, through his labors and through his evangelism, he was imprisoned. He received beatings. Uh, five different times he received the 39 lashes from the Jews. Three times he was beaten with rods. Uh, he was stoned. He was uh, three times he was shipwrecked. Uh, he spent a night and a day at sea. Uh, it says that he fought wild beast at Ephesus. It just goes to show you how much Paul suffered for the gospel. Now, as we kind of wrap up the series and as we wrap up Paul's life, I again just want to emphasize, I hope that as you, you we've looked at these various men and women throughout Scripture, as we looked at how uh, they endured hardships, as they had failures and, and disappointments and all kinds of things in their life, that the common denominator throughout all of them is that they trusted in Christ Jesus. They trusted in God. They trust. They placed their faith uh, in the one true God, and even though they were imperfect people, our perfect God used them for his good work. And so I hope that that is an encouragement to each and every one of us that we just need to place our faith in God each and every day, each and every moment of every day. And even when we fall, have faith that God's grace, his love, and his forgiveness is enough to pick us up and keep us moving 
forward. Well, with that said, I hope that you have a wonderful week. I hope you take care and God bless.